Warning! If nobody ever made you read Beowulf, this review contains spoilers. Hello all, Sully Dog here. Before I get to the reviews, I wanted to cover a couple of minor housekeeping issues. First of all, in the new year I'll be doing some reviews of classic SF movies. If you want to suggest a classic piece of cinematic SF for review, just to make sure it doesn't get left out, please drop me a line at sullivan.jonathan at gmail.com. That's sullivan.j-o-n-a-t-h-o-n at gmail.com. Better yet, write your own review and send it to me at the same address, using the guidelines on Escape Pod's webpage. Which brings us to the second and third housekeeping issues. The second one is that I've changed the email address for review submissions. You just heard it. The old address was kind of twitchy and some reviews and carries apparently never showed up. The Gmail account should work much better. And the third issue is, send us a review. We need more book reviews and sadly, all the books I read these days are about rap brains and stroke, so I'm going to stick with the movies. But if you're a big reader of SF, either classic or current, and you think you have what it takes to write a review, check out our guidelines and get it done, dog. Send me something, whether it's a review of the latest from Bruce Sterling or a retrospective on Alfred Bester or Robert Heinlein. Anyway, enough said. Today's review is a threefer. The release of a new cinematic version of Beowulf seems like a good occasion to take a look at the source. So I'm going to try to convince you to have a look at Seamus Heaney's translation of the epic. Then we'll look at John Gardner's novel, Grendel. And finally, we'll see if the newest attempt to bring Beowulf to celluloid cuts the mustard. So, let's get on with it. Yes, we're talking about that Beowulf. The one your high school English teacher forced you to read while you tried to keep your face awake. And yes, this is the science fiction podcast magazine, not a stodgy journal of Anglo-Saxon scholarship. But what do you want? Beowulf's got it all. Warrior princes, mighty kings, gleaming longboats, misty moors, flashing swords, simmering blood feuds, savage dragons, kingdoms rising and falling, man-eating monsters, and rousing clashes between heroic good and unmistakable evil. It may be old, but make no mistake, this is the good stuff. Hrothgar, king of the Danes, should be a happy man. His realm is at peace with its neighbors, rich in gold, and well bestowed with mighty warriors. But the land of the Danes is beset by a horrible curse, Grendel. In the night, this foul monster comes to carry away the prime of Danish manhood, leaving only gore and chaos to mark his passing through Hrothgar's mead hall. An air of defeat has begun to settle over the Danes, and Hrothgar is beginning to look like an old man. Now Beowulf, a mighty prince from a Swedish tribe known as the Geats comes across the sea in Hrothgar's defense. Alone, and with his bare hands, he stands against the unspeakable evil of Grendel. You know what happens next. Good must always overcome evil, after all. But it's not quite as simple as that. In his triumph, Beowulf plants the seeds of his own destruction and the ruin of the Gittish people. I get goosebumps just thinking about it. It's all here, everything we love about high fantasy, a story that plugs right into the collective unconscious. 
When Tolkien rendered Middle-earth, this was his source code. The entire book is a delight, from the handsome design to the erudite but light-hearted forward to the content and layout. The newest edition has some wonderful illustrations by John D. Niles. Somebody knew exactly what they were doing when they tapped Nobel laureate Seamus Heaney to give us this translation, the newly definitive translation of Beowulf. I read this classic poem in high school too, you know, and while the images in the story fired my imagination, I have to concede that the language was too stiff and impenetrable to make the experience as enjoyable as it should have been. But Heaney's translation has restored the music to Beowulf. Do yourself a favor. Read it as poetry, whispering it to yourself or reading it aloud, allowing the lyric quality of the language to seep into your spirit and resonate in your bones. Let your eye wander, occasionally, to the facing page, to drink the strange beauty of the original Anglo-Saxon verse and remind you that, by reading this great work of heroic fantasy, you are connecting with the very taproot of English language and literature. Unlike me, and, I suspect, you, John Gardner was a scholar of medieval literature, not to mention one of the finest American novelists of the late 20th century. His widely acclaimed novel, Grendel, first released in the early 70s, is still available, a handsome volume that wisely incorporates the original line drawings by Emile Antonucci. Go get it. Grendel is set in the same universe and time as Beowulf, Denmark under Hrothgar, circa 800 AD. But this story is told from the monster's point of view, in first person. And make no mistake, Grendel is a monster. Cannibalistic, feral, venal, foul. As he tells his story of alienation, loneliness, loss, and despair, you can smell the sulfurous fumes of hatred and jealousy welling up from his soul. Where is that your soul? Yes, Grendel is the story of every human being who ever lived. It's the narrative of every creature who ever looked out on the world and saw the universe as not my mother, politics as so much extortion, love as so much degradation, religion as so much self-delusion. Here, as in Borman's Excalibur, the dragon is the backbone of the world. But when Grendel goes to seek the transcendental wisdom of the dragon, he finds only another dissolute monster, guarding a horde of cynicism and corruption. And by the time Grendel has finally grasped the meaning of beauty, he can only respond with fantasies of rage and violence. With Grendel, Gardner did more than pay homage to an anonymous 9th century English poet. He has also given us a stark counterpoint to that lay of classic heroism and honor, a devastating indictment of our civilization, our mores, our aesthetic, our faith, our very existence. In the final pages of this charming, luminous, horrific novel, Gardner seals Grendel's fate with our own and makes us all into pitiable monsters. And now to the newest cinematic adaptation of Beowulf, directed by Robert Zemeckis from an adaptation penned by Roger Avery and none other than Neil Gaiman. This isn't the first time Beowulf's been brought to the big screen. For example, in 1999, Christopher Lambert played a bleached blonde Beowulf in a post-apocalyptic SF version of the epic, featuring lots of hyperkinetic swordplay and big-breasted bimbos and tight corsets. As you might imagine, 
it sucked mightily. Same goes for the 2005 production of Beowulf and Grendel, a well-intentioned but discombobulated bit of slop that I found virtually unwatchable. And let's not forget an attempt to bring Beowulf to the holodeck of the USS Voyager with the Doctor in the title role. Ugh. Zemeckis' new Beowulf is by far more watchable than these previous obliterations. Using cutting-edge digital live-action enhancement, the filmmakers have put together a movie that is nothing less than a smorgasbord, if you'll forgive me, for the eyes. I went, reluctantly, for the 3D version, and I'm glad I did. But what about the adaptation? Does it do violence to the story? It's a tough call for me. Volumes have been written about Beowulf by people smarter than me. Theses and doctoral dissertations about its depiction of a pagan world on the cusp of accepting Christianity, the cultural, historical, and philosophical ramifications of a story that arcs from despair to triumph to tragedy, and how the themes and symbols of Beowulf continue to reverberate through our literature and our consciousness. I can't claim to have a deep scholarly grasp of all this, so making any judgment feels arrogant. But I must confess, I have some problems with it. It goes beyond minor alterations in the events of the story, such as Beowulf becoming king of the Danes instead of returning to Sweden to become the ruler of the Geats. It goes beyond the heavy-handed use of Christian imagery to show us, well, I don't know what. And I'm not even sure that the film's much-derided depiction of Beowulf's relationship with Grendel's mother, a most curvaceous and compelling Angelina Jolie, is the worst sin, although it certainly gave me pause. No, my biggest problem with this version is that the urge to fiddle with the moral vector of Beowulf was apparently irresistible. My reading of the original poem leaves no doubt in my mind that Grendel and his mother are to be regarded as nothing other than evil. But this film has more shades of gray in mind. Don't get me wrong here, I like stories full of shades of gray, and I've long argued that modern SF is, in fact, a literature of moral relativism. But Beowulf is not. Gardner's novel is one thing, but one might argue that a film that holds itself out as the cinematic adaptation of the poem itself shouldn't have license to play with the original's depiction of a battle between clear-cut good and clear-cut evil. When I read Beowulf, I get the idea that Grendel and his mother are monsters because, well, because they're monsters, damn it. In fact, they are the descendants of Cain himself, and it's important to remember that Beowulf was composed for the entertainment of Anglo-Saxon Christians. But when I watch this movie, I get the idea that Grendel is a monster because he's a victim of society. In fact, most if not all of the blame for his very existence is laid squarely at the feet of Hrothgar, the personification of the state. By shunning Grendel and his mother, the Danes have turned him into a sort of mutant juvenile delinquent. Grendel's not the bad guy. The Danes are the bad guys. See? It's deep. It's heavy. It's a powerful commentary on society and alienation. I'm sure somebody out there will think it's a commentary on race, or the place of women in society, or the treatment of indigenous peoples. Okay, I guess this movie could be all those things. But in a very real sense, and for those very reasons, it's not exactly Beowulf anymore. So, should you go see Beowulf? Absolutely, yes, I think so. Sure, it's flawed, and I think it does some injury to the original. But it is also a visually stunning, earnest, well-made homage to the poem, 
It's entirely watchable, and it marks a new milestone in digital filmmaking. Its differences with the original may be objectionable, but if you've read the poem, you may find that they're also interesting, precisely because they underscore just how different Beowulf is from modern literature. And besides, it might just entice you into reading the original again, or for the first time. And that would be a good thing. This is Jonathan Sullivan for Escape Project.